Welcome to another episode of the Heron Outlet, which this one is uh, sure to be a doozy. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Hest. And uh, guys, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, Phil Neville now fined by the club for comments that were made at the end of the 1-0 loss to New York Red Bulls. Seemingly just had enough and we alluded to it for week after week after week here on the pod just sort of seemed like he had enough now with the refs and felt sort of like his team was playing not just another team but playing two in a single game and he said that he felt his team was being cheated he said that multiple times he pointed to each of the instances in the past three games I'll just go first. I think that everything he said is entirely accurate and entirely fair, but also you can't talk like that. And so he's been fine for for that. Uh, the league ha- has not been very happy with that uh, with those comments. So let's just start right with brass tacks. Do you feel that what he said was accurate and and was that a fair criticism or should he not have have gone that far? Yeah, uh, just before I start, um, he's fined by the league, not by the club, I believe. I think you said club just. Yeah, he was fined by the league. Um, And I everything that Phil Neville said, um, especially from an inter Miami perspective, having watched every single match live, having watched every single one of those in instances time and time again. Uh, yeah, he's, he's right in, in, in saying this and he's not only right just from my perspective or from his perspective, these things were called back and proven by not only inter Miami, but the league themselves. They, they called themselves out on these calls with Monday morning emails saying that, Hey, look, the LGP handball probably shouldn't have been a handball. And they, they, they apologized for it in an email. Oh, sorry. We missed two Robbie Robinson penalty calls. And then we also missed uh, the Carranza foul. That wasn't actually a foul. So you should have had an equalizer even without those two penalty decisions. That was our mistake. My bad. And then with this whole Gonzalo Higuain offside thing, clearly not offside got allowed disallowed allowed disallowed how many times do you have to go back and forth with a video assistant referee is beyond me um and, and i think that he's right to criticize that uh in it of itself because it, it is a very expensive review system and they've invested money into it as a league and they need to use it properly and they haven't and i think a lot of what he touched on too in that that press conference that has gone now viral i guess was that he thought the referee in the match did a great job refereeing the game. And I, I thought so too, after having my, my own rewatch. And he said that the referee, she was, she was let down by this, this one decision that altered the game and, and turned it around on his head. And I, I think that that's where he's kind of leading towards this because VAR is the one that's making these decisions at the end of the day, they went back on the LGP handball. They're the ones that looked at it and let it stand. You can review for penalties. If the referee does miss something, they were not reviewed in Portland. And then VAR is also the one that looked at the foul after the referee did call it. However, VAR looked at it and, and confirmed it as well. So there's on all these occasions, um, I, I think it's I think it's valid with what how Phil Neville is feeling. I think that he is valid to feel these ways and he's gotten proven validity validity through the league. And 
I know that what he said was a little much. He not only said that they were being cheated and or mistreated, but he also had a had a call of action call for action to this with with an investigation. He was calling for an investigation to how refereeing uh, against Inter Miami has gone throughout the course of the season. And I'm sure that that's not going to happen with how we've seen the league react. But I think that he has fair points here. And this is despite Miami's cheating scandal in 2020, the five DPs, the Matuidi thing. All of that is is history at this point. And it doesn't have anything to do and it should play no factor in what's going on in 2021. Remember, Phil Neville wasn't here in 2020. So for anybody, including one person on ESPN, who's saying that Phil Neville is, should not be we'll the man. We'll get into it. We'll to, get into it. I, I just, it's, it's beyond me that that is becoming a a retaliation to what's been going on it is beyond me. And I, it, it infuriates me. It makes no sense because everything needs to be taken in context at face value here. And for these decisions to be wrong and for the league to come back and say that they were wrong and then have people say, Oh, suck it up. No, that, that's nine. That could be nine points lost in a playoff battle where you're anyway, I'll, 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 I'll stop here. <laughs> If MLS want to become a league of choice, they're going to have to get this refereeing situation under control. There's been multiple teams this season that have had controversies like this, and Inter Miami is not the first. I, I'm not saying that Inter Miami has been specifically targeted, but you know, with Miami being as big of a club that they want to be, the high-profile names, David Beckham, you know, and and you know, breaking some MLS rules last year. I'm not saying that it's a conspiracy, but you know, the league and the rest may be a little bit extra harder on inner Miami because they think that, Oh, Miami wants to get away with everything. We'll teach them a lesson by, you know, just overlooking some calls or maybe not being as consistent as we would with a Seattle Sounders or, or, um, an LA galaxy or, um, or whatever big club in the Portland Timbers or what have you. So Neville was absolutely in the right to be upset. You know, like Austin said, um, some of those calls could have gotten inner mommy points and they would have been sitting closer to a playoff spot. Should, you know, those final penalties would have been called should, you know, that LGP handball in Atlanta, which was, uh, it, it was just a, as absurd because he was tucking his arm in and you know on twitter atlanta fans were saying oh clearly the ball touched his hand therefore handball duh but that's not how it goes you know it has to be there the intent has to be there but you know neville was like i said he was in the right to be upset over that it was cheated i don't I don't think it it was nefarious, but you know, a lot of the times these refs they they turn a blind eye to some, you know, questionable calls and they don't get it right consistently. And with Inter Miami, it happened to be in three straight games. So, absolutely, Inter Miami have every right to be upset. I, I wrote it in my recent uh, Lemon City Live piece that is it's just you know it's just a culmination of several uh, several um, incidents that have happened this year. So. You know, Neville being the head coach, of course, he's going to defend this team. But, you know, MLS have had just a refereeing problem for the longest time. And I think Neville got fed up and, you know, he he vented his frustrations to the media. And, um, you know, now it's turned into this giant thing about, you know, does Neville deserve to be here? Nepotism, yada, yada, yada. And it's snowballed into something that's probably not going to die down anytime soon. So I want to get into, because right before we started uh, this podcast, uh, the the Professional Soccer Refereeing Association, uh, it's a labor union representing 
more than 200 officials, according to the Miami Herald uh, in North America, said that they were, quote unquote, outraged. And we're going to have a little of, of a reading time with Ian here. Uh, they say, according to the Herald, the PSRA is very disappointed both in Mr. Neville's comments and behavior, which we find to be unprofessional and reprehensible, and also in the outcome from Commissioner Garber. This is according to Steve Taylor, the executive director of the PSRA, who spoke with the Herald. He said, in other cases, there were more severe punishment, citing a five-match ban on Alex on Sir Alex Ferguson in 2011 for saying Martin Atkinson should have been a fair referee. Quote, there's lots of cases where there are suspensions for far less than using the word cheat on a variation of that word eight times in an 11-minute press conference, Taylor said. Our officials do not cheat, and no one was robbed. We come to work every day and do not care who wins or loses. To suggest otherwise is reprehensible, in our opinion, and potentially criminal, as a matter of fact. So first off, whoa. Um, For me, that's, that's raising this... That's escalating this even further. To me, that's saying far worse than what Phil said. Um, And they clearly have a a feeling here that what Phil said and repeated is not okay under any circumstance. I'll be honest, from my point of view, that was a lot more aggressive than and a lot more unprofessional and a lot more reprehensible they're supposed to be the judges in this case they're not supposed to give their opinion on it and you know you can dislike the ref all you want but that to me is just a little too aggressive for for my my taste well i i kind of see the approach that they're taking here they have to much like Phil Neville is protecting, trying to protect his football club, they're trying to protect their their workers in in the union. And I, I I guess I understand it. And yes, I do think it is a little extreme for what they are calling for and what they're saying. Um, but at the end of the but day, it's not crime. only they said that he made he, they said that he yeah, committed no. a crime. I mean, wow, which is like, what, which is a lot. And it not only the reason why Phil Neville is quote unquote committing a crime is not because Phil Neville feels some sort of way. It's because the league that they are officiating in has given them proof and has given them understanding that they got decisions wrong that were unfavorable for inter Miami. That's where it like blows my mind on how this story has turned the league themselves. And I don't know if they said anything in the Red Bull New York match, but in the Portland match and in the Atlanta match, there were emails sent to Inter-Miami to quote Phil Neville saying that they got those decisions wrong Four in a span of two games. That's where this goes goes beyond me. And that's where I lose sight of how people can't see why Phil Neville feels some sort of way. They have admitted to getting things wrong. And now I have to think, look, maybe the Pro Refereeing Association should be looking at MLS and saying, hey, back us. Don't 
give them proof to say that hey we got these or something i mean there's got to be some miscommunication there at some point and now you look at the 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 red bull new york match and you look at the offside call for gonzalo higuain i'm not sure if the league um had said anything about that call and i'm sure they didn't after the press conference that followed the the game immediately but inter miami gave media members access to why they are saying that they can prove Gonzalo Higuain was onside. I know there were a couple of other Twitter accounts that do like soccer photographs or something saying that he was all onside. There's all this, all this kind of stuff to prove that Gonzalo Higuain is onside. And you can see that he is onside. Even if it is a small margin, he's onside and VAR is supposed to eliminate those, those kind of discrepancies. So for, for pro referees and that whole entire statement about saying basically phil neville is a criminal uh i mean for for calling against cheating is is mind-blowing i think it's taken a little bit too far at that point but i i have no other words other than that phil neville i believe phil neville's valid that takes it past what any of this was that was uh, honestly like your point that was criticism maybe that was too far of criticism but like you said it was fair criticism to a certain extent, maybe he he talked too much about it, but to 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 I guess exacerbate the issue. That's the part where I go. Well, wait a minute. Maybe these calls about the refs don't like Inter Miami. Maybe they're even leading credence to this. Maybe they're even like showing how how to call it a crime. Seems to me to feel like you don't like these people. So when you're not getting along. It, I don't think it's fair to go, well, wait a minute, do you have a a bias here? Because we all know in journalism school how we're supposed to turn off a bias and, and what we're supposed to go with. Does, does that not tell you, wait a minute, you might have a bias here that hasn't been discussed enough and now it's coming above the water, Alex? I think that this situation, it's going to snowball into something completely different because the media has picked up on it. And ever since Miami's inception, you know, we've all been there. There's just been, you know, mountains of anti, you know, Miami bias. And this is me being completely objective. Even before, you know, they were called Inter Miami, it was just excuse me, a struggle to get this franchise off the ground, you know, with the stadium and, and, you know, getting the multiple investors. It When did David Beckham announce his bid in uh, 2014 and it took until 2020 and that, that it shows you it was just a slog the entire way. And, you know, national media, they were of zero help in, in regard to that. They, it seemed like they didn't want this, this franchise to, to happen. Even local media, they were very skeptical. So, I'm bringing this back to the refereeing decision. I think it's like you said, Ian, I I do think that, you know, the refs coming out and saying, you know, this is criminal. That's it. It it sounds, you know, like at the end of the day, this is just soccer. I don't know why they're, they're accusing him of, uh, of some sort of criminality. It sounds absurd, you know, like, you know, relax. It's, we're just playing a game with, uh, uh, you know, you're kicking a ball in the middle between two six. I don't, I don't understand why they would use that sort of usage, but it, it, this is going to snowball, I'm afraid. And, you know, with these comments that, you know, we read the, the Michelle Kaufman article from Miami Herald, it, it yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that you know, this is going to snowball. And, you know, with pro referees, every team have had gripes with them and the refereeing in MLS can get a little, 
shifty sometimes in terms of just the inconsistency. Some some penalties aren't penalties and uh, and whatnot. But you know this sets a, a terrible like level going forward because you know compare it you know what inter miami's gone through with you know the non-penalty call in atlanta and, and you know the the goal that was disallowed from Carranza and the robbie robinson penalties that should have been called uh you know those were points that inter miami could have gotten so i understand that was frustration when you're frustrated you don't you don't think you see red and you just sprout out you know your innermost thoughts so i, I you know neville probably could have used better words but he was just fuming in that post-match conference but for these refs to come back and say this was criminal that that it is that those are words that escalate a situation to to something that it shouldn't shouldn't be and you know it's 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 this is gonna get very messy in my opinion i, I yeah it's gonna get messy at the, at the end of this and michelle kaufman's article is wonderful check it out at the herald that was just a a, a short portion of that but Austin, you know, I know that I'm sort of like this MLS nerd that's been, you know, before Inter-Miami ever existed. I almost even wore my Miami Fusion jersey during during this podcast this week, simply to, to say that because I made a lot of phone calls and a lot of text messages around the league this week, and nearly universally, it was bad teams complain like this. That just goes to show they're a bad team. Quit complaining. And... I guess I was a little confused about that answer, that it was it was so unanimous in, in how they were reacting to it because I, I get what they're saying and bad teams do complain like this and bad teams do have this issue, but bad teams also aren't still in the mix when the league is able to point to each one of these little instances that dictate results of games. You made a good point. They're eight points out of contention, and someone I think on Twitter had said to you, "Well, it's only three points that they would have lost." That's that's the whole that that's the difference between being two games out and four games out right now. And, and so I don't think that it's too difficult to see how yes, these little instances, yes, they can't score, yes, they're I think they probably have the the fewest goals scored in the league or close to it. We've talked all about the offense all season long, but I. I, I guess I struggle here in saying maybe they're not a good team, but maybe they're not a bad team. And when every call goes against you, it winds up creating a situation where they're considered a bad team when they're not. They're right in the middle and they're not getting that fair shake. Am I wrong? Um, No, I don't. I don't think that you're wrong. I think that where my difference lies in perspective on how – Inter Miami do as a team is that they haven't shown me personally enough that they would do anything if they did get to the playoffs, right? Like I don't know how far they would go. But Obviously, seven there's teams are going to make the playoffs. Only that's one of them exa- is going to win the Eastern Conference. So right. that I don't was really my make that argument. That well, that was my next point is that half of the teams in the Eastern Conference make the playoffs. Not all of them are going to be good teams. So no, if this is a four or five team playoff, it's a it's a lot different. I mean, you look at last year, ten teams made the playoff, and Inter Miami were there, and like you know, it, that's just that's how the league is designed. <laughs> and exactly, that's how the league is designed. And sure, in a in a regular scenario, say if this was a league like the NFL, where you know, I guess they just expanded their their 
playoffs, but if it was a shorter playoff format, then yeah, maybe Inter Miami aren't haven't proven to be a playoff team. But when you give half the people a chance to make the playoffs and it's in everybody's reach for the majority of the season, you can't have calls like this that ruin somebody's playoff chances. And I don't think it's happened to other teams in the Eastern Conference like it has into Miami, especially the ones that are at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten spots like, you know, Atlanta, Columbus, uh, Toronto, other, Cincinnati, all those teams. The, the other part that, that you need to understand in that, too, is you could have said, oh, well, that's just one point that they lost that they would have drawn New York Red Bulls. But that's also two points that Red Bulls gained. That's also two points that Atlanta gained in this fight. And, and you lose yep. that contextual understanding, it, it hurts more when and it a, happens against those teams. And another thing that I mentioned, too, is that goals change games, right? If if the penalty is not scored and maybe Nick Morrisman makes a save, what does that do the, for the momentum uh, past the 78-minute mark where Josef Martinez got his goal? What does it do in the Portland match? You know, if Robbie Robinson gets a penalty and then he gets another one, if they score just one of those, the entire game has changed on its head and Carranza gets an equalizer and what you don't know what can happen. And then you look at the Red Bulls game and that was in, what, the 60 or so minute? It was, you know, there were still at least 30 minutes to go after Higuain scored. I mean... Goals change games. The entire outcome of every single game is put into question now because of these refereeing decisions, and that's what you have to look at. And you made a great point, Ian. It's not just you know points lost for Miami. It's points gained for contenders that are playing right next to Inter-Miami in the Eastern Conference table looking to make the playoffs. And it's not our fault. It's not our fault that the MLS decides to let half of their teams make the playoff from each conference. I'm You're gonna, going to I'm have gonna, bad I'm teams. Do the MLS thing on you real fast. Sorry, the sorry, MLS sorry. That's the inside joke. No, <laughs> the, I, I, I gotta, I gotta do that. That was right. yeah. It's it's tough. It's tough. They need to like change something so I can. It'll be easier to talk. Um, no, when you give half the ch- half the teams a chance to make the playoffs, if you look at you know. Let's look at let's say Montreal for example, who's in who's in the sixth spot. Am I going to go on and say Montreal is a good team right now? They're not a great team. They're not a good team. They're a half decent team. If I go in the West, I'm going to say the same thing about some of those seven, six, and five teams. I'm going to say that for a lot of teams that are going to make the playoffs for MLS. But I think that it's now coming down to this Inter Miami bias, where you look at 2020 and the cheating scandal that happened, and everybody you know is dwelling on that and looking at that and frowned upon on that and. Sure, that's fine, but we're not there anymore. Those things aren't happening anymore. The players that were in the question are not here anymore other than Matuidi, and we lifted his designation as a player. I mean, there are everything was fixed, right? Pellegrini's gone. Andres Reyes is gone. Matuidi is being compensated and on the record book like he should be. All of this, it's all happening in the right way. Miami has not done anything wrong really in 2021. Phil Neville has not done anything wrong in 2021 other than, I guess, if you want to say this, but... They're playing by the books now, and the playoff race is happening now. Nothing else in the past should be coming into question, and I think that that is where the biggest issue is for me, other than the fact that the league is literally admitting to mistakes, but people don't see that. I think I think the, the scary thing is, I, I believe in Neville's post-match conference, he, he, he said that the players now have a distrust of of the referees, which is huge. You know, if, if you're a player and you don't think calls are going to go your way, well, you're not going to play to your fullest potential because, you know, of any instance you could go down the penalty box and you won't get a call. That's the point, you know, we're not going to make the playoffs this way. It feels as if there's, you know, instead of, you know, 11 guys on the pitch, there's 12 against you. So 
you know, they're not going to play as hard. And then that in turn affects Inter Miami and their performance. And that in turn affects uh, Phil Neville and his tactical setup. And then it's just a domino effect of, of you know, poor decisions. Don't they, they go their way and then, you know, they don't play well. And then Neville is on the hot seat and then they lose and they lose, they slip out of playoff contention. So it's just a, a slippery slope. And, and, I want to touch on Austin's point about this this anti Neville bias. I, I I've said multiple times, you know, going into this this year, he wasn't my first choice coach, but you know, I did my research, and you know, he he's a good enough coach from what I've seen from the England England's women's team that you know he could have done uh you know damage in in the league had he had the right setup, but you know, with the roster how how that's constructed, and it's a giant thing, but I do think that you know he. We like Diego Alonso last year. Neville was sort of giving a short stick, and and we saw uh, Chris Henderson give an interview. Was it yesterday or the day before um, at Drive Pink, saying you know there's three or four guys that we can bring in that shifts the you know the tide of of a team, and that can change them from you know floundering in the Eastern Conference basement to MLS Cup contenders. And next year we will see that with Inter Miami. Inter Miami hired Chris Henderson as probably you know one of the the best roster builders. You know in the league as, as a director of football. So as far as that goes, Inter Miami is in good hands. And we saw what, you know, Fort Lauderdale can do and they can bring up some of those guys. And we spoke to Darren Powell and he, he touched on that and, and, you know, just, you know, this referee controversy and not make the playoffs. It's, yeah, it's, I don't want to call it an anti-Miami bias, but, you know, we all live in South Florida. We see it with other sports teams with the Miami Heat, Dolphins, the national media. They never, Miami Hurricanes, they never give Miami teams their props because, you know, it's Miami, a flashy city. Oh, they're all valid and sh- and, and shallow and, and, and whatnot. So it's just a culmination of, of all of those things. And, 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 you know, it's it's unfortunate because it, now it, this just adds another distraction to, uh, you know, Miami's playoff race. If, if they're going to make it, you know, just these extra comments by these the refs and, and the national media and the MLS media, it it just piles on after a while. And then the players get affected. And like I said, it's a domino effect and they don't play well and then they continue to slip. And yeah, it's just all, all around. It's, it's, it's just getting messy. It's getting really messy. Is that a messy pun or no? Uh, I wish we could. Messy could be. Uh, <laughs> he could, we could use messy. Now we're going to get all the page views of messy to Miami, right? It, it could be yeah. messy. <laughs> messy in Miami. Anyway, guys, I, th- th- I think that that's enough ref talk. I think none of us really want to have ref talk. Um, the other major point of contention is the designated players. And Phil has talked time and time again, even before these matches, saying, hey, these are the guys that need to lead us. Zero goals in three games. Iguain has probably had his worst stretch of form as an Inter-Miami fan. I don't know if that's being a little too unfair to him, but hasn't really – it looks like this season is sort of wearing him down. Matuidi gets subbed in the 66th uh, against New York Red Bulls. Uh, Pizarro's played okay, still also got subbed out in that Portland game, um, and, and, and has, you know, really created, I guess, as much offense as Inter Miami has looked in these past couple games, but it still hasn't manifest itself in, uh, in goals that they haven't scored. So I, I put this poll on Twitter like a couple weeks ago, or maybe a little more than a week ago, that how many of the, uh, I stole it from... A Toronto FC reporter, Dwayne Rollins is a good friend. Um, 
and said how many of Inter Miami's designated players will be back next year, one, two, or three. And overwhelmingly, the people that answered it said one, but overwhelmingly, the people who responded to it said, why is there not an option that says zero? And I felt like that was really telling about how people feel about what is going on. So when when Phil is so aggressive about saying, hey, this playoff push is going to come down to the performance of the designated players, and it seems not to be working, and it seems to be that the designated players are not performing, how much of this is just the end of the road for these three in this situation? Uh, plenty. I personally think that um, I, I've talked about it all year. There's They don't work well together at all. Matuidi has been – he's ha, was regressing even since leaving Juventus, even when he was at Juventus. Juventus fans were not too big of a fans of him, you know, in his later – uh, stages of his Juventus career, Gonzalo Higuain. While he's, you know, he's got ten goals, what five assists on the year. He just, you know, he seems like a guy who is on on vacation. You know, he's talked about, you know, MLS. We thought he thought it was going to be a walk in the park. He didn't really take it seriously this year. He did step up his game, but I, I do feel like he does have one foot out the door already. Um, he, he already said what past 2022 he doesn't know what he's gonna do so last year could very well be his last year of a, a, a as a professional soccer player Rodolfo Pizarro I've written about him multiple times he is just uh, a traffic cone at times yes he scored you know pivotal goals at important moments but throughout the season he's been a ghost even last year well, he did play a bit better. He did not live up to his, what was it, $12 million price tag, which was, you know, if you compare it to some of the other DPs in the league, it's, you know, it's up there and he doesn't produce nearly as much as some of those guys. So as a whole, these three don't work well together. I do firmly believe that if they were just, if if Chris Henderson and Miami were to bring in, you know, quality players in those positions, this team would look very differently even when let's say you swap out Federico uh, uh, Pizarro for Federico, you, you see the difference in what a true 10 does versus what Pizarro does. And I know we've discussed Pizarro maybe dropping da- back a bit deep, but the team didn't play, pay, pay him $12 million to to play as a, a, a box-to-box midfielder, although he can do that job. Um, just all together, this roster is really lopsided. You know, there's t- guys on TAM that aren't producing. You know, we talked about Julian Carranza, who's on a, a bucket load of money, and he scored once, which was last year. Oh, was it two, two goals? And he's never scored since. Two he goals hasn't in the same since, game, so. and he made sure that everybody knew about it and then never scored again. He, and he's never scored again. So it's 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 fixable, and, we've, and the club has a guy in Chris Henderson who can fix it, but... Every time I watch Inter Miami games, there's just something to nitpick at, and I've I've tweeted about it on my, on my tactical account about just how uneven it looks sometimes with these guys playing together because they're all on three separate different different pages, and you see a guy like Robbie Robinson who has loads of potential. Even then, you know he's forced into playing as a back to goal number nine because Egoin needs to drop deep because Pizarro is not creating enough and Gonzalo is the only creator on the team. So it shifts everyone out of their natural positions just to accommodate players that Inter Miami shouldn't have gotten in the first place. So it's basically beating a dead horse at this point. And I've talked about just Inter Miami, although it would be nice for them to make the playoffs. Just the season is, is a wash at this point. We know the sanctions are coming. 
you know, some of these guys won't be here next season. I would switch my focus towards 2022 because there's a lot of upside in that regard with, you know, Fort Lauderdale CF. And you, we saw Mabika uh, Gadiri, even then he's got some Fort Lauderdale, you know, he had some playing time with them earlier this season. Escona, he's he's get, he's getting there. Felipe Valencia, there's just tons of talent there. But yeah, um, yeah, it's just messy. Not literal messy, but it's a messy situation. And uh, Alex, I, I agree. I, can I just jump in yeah. on that? When when Phil's talking yeah. about next year, there's going to be six guys that are coming up that, that you know, Ascona and Valencia, they don't count in that regard. Josh Penn doesn't even yeah. count in that regard. That These are going to be the guys that we're talking about next, next year. Uh, how, how much of that factors into the decision of do you keep a Gonzalo Higuain as a mentor figure Maybe he moves to the bench or, or, or any of these guys. Uh, you know, there was talk about Figal moving on at, at the end of the year. With We, we did a video on Tigres and, and everything with that. It's clear that there's going to be so much roster turnover, but how much of this is predicated on will those young guys come through and how much of the, how much of the old guard do you want to keep? Um. Well, I don't think Inter Miami have a choice. They they have to play the kids at at this point because they're going to be short. Uh, was it the transfer allocation money? Just allocation money in general. Um, you know, guys like Mabika, Josh Penn, uh, George Acosta. They're going to you know, uh, although Mabika is not signed to a first team contract yet, but I'm pretty sure he will. He he will. But you know, George Acosta, Josh Penn, uh, Ascona. They're going to have. They're going to get significant. Mo- um minutes next season just solely because of the sanctions and while i i i trust chris henderson to make that that balance of you know older head locker room guys versus the the younger ones you know there's you know this season you know this roster is very it's very old you know matrice 34 ryan shawcross he's 33 34 egoine he's 33 um leardom he what he's 31 there's a lot of guys federico egoine he's what 35 um, you know, there's a lot of older guys on this roster and yeah, there's, there's going to need to be a, a fine balance between, you know, the, the younger players and in the older ones as well. But yeah, it's just going to be a, a, an incredibly critical off season, uh, for Miami. There's a lot of things to do. A lot of guys to, you know, leave, move on from the club, a lot of guys to bring in. So, um, yeah, I think it 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 will it'll, it'll have to be a a, a balance. I want to say uh, first before I get into the question, I want to pose to you guys. Um, Paul McDonough and Chris Henderson have completely different job tasks, right? Paul McDonough was to come in here and make a splash. Paul McDonough came here to make the big signings, make the big moves, get the star players, and he didn't deliver on those signings. And now with what he did and how badly he constructed the roster and got and, and cheated, um, you move on to Chris Henderson, who's now his job is to not necessarily make these big splash signings is to maximize value. It's to develop through the academy in Fort Lauderdale CF and bring up these young guys that maybe that wasn't the, the, the initial goal of the club. I know it was always in the, you know, the cards, but it wasn't like Ronaldo and Messi weren't talked about, you know, back then and now you think about it and I don't think that you've even heard of lick of that but from from the Jorge Master Beckhams of the world um in the last year and that goes all the way back to the the press conference introducing Phil Neville 
the entire like two hours that they sat down and spoke, Henderson, Neville, Beckham, Moss, it was all about academy, kids, bringing them up, having them develop. We want to be proud of something. We want their homegrowns to be good and bring them up. And all and that, and the entire show, the entire tone of the club shifted. It fully did. And now it has to because of the sanctions. Don't, actually, I, I, don't forget that Hendo's loved throughout the league. Hendo is a beloved oh, yeah. figure throughout the league. It's not just Absolutely. here. Yeah. So that, that he's, plays a huge role. And he's he's proven he almost I mean, Seattle, if not a dynasty at the time that he was there is the closest thing to a sports dynasty that you get to. I mean, he was right on the brink of a dynasty with the Seattle Sounders, and he did a phenomenal job. If they would have beat Columbus crew last year, I believe that was the final Columbus in Seattle. I mean, then you look at it as a real, you know, somewhat dynasty of a, of a club between that five or six year period where they made three MLS Cup finals. So you look at Chris Henderson, you say, yes, this is probably the man for the job. We have to put the trust in you but they need to also get on the same level in terms of what they're doing and I think that they have done that I don't think it was like that when Paul McDonough and Diego Alonso were here and I think that there's more communication within the club now which is a good thing now the question I want to pose back to you guys Ian you put out that 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 poll about the DPs returning how many do you want or how many do you think you want or how many do you think will actually be there well my question for you guys is how in the world, other than retiring, are they going to get Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain to go, right? How, how do you get rid of Gonzalo Higuain on the last year of his deal? How do you get rid of Blaise Matuidi on the last year of his deal? Now, Pizarro is a little bit different because I think that there's always going to be interest from Liga Emekis, but I, I'm I'm curious to how you see it possible that they can get rid of these players in a way past 20 you know during 2022 not past 2022 because that's when their deal expires how do they get rid of them in a way even if it's for x amount of dollars i don't think first off i don't think that pizarro is difficult to get rid of uh with all due respect to him i think that you're gonna ha- you're gonna find uh you know a liga mx team or an argentinian team even if he can't get to europe i think that it's pizarro pretty sells easy t-shirts to Right. Pizarro sells T-shirts and brings eyes. 100%. I think it's just. I think it's easy to get Pizarro off the books. The other factor in that is now you have to look at the other two. I don't think that Matuidi is as difficult because he's not command. He's he he's making twenty percent of what Iguain is making, and so I think it's a little easier if you if you, if he's truly set on twenty twenty two is going to be his last year playing soccer. Okay, fine. Then there's a, there's going to be a team in Dubai or or China or something like that that maybe I, I I know that I'm like throwing things out that don't exist right now. So don't quote me on that. But I don't think that it's difficult to say that. Oh, hey, you know, my, don't you want to just end your career somewhere there and and get that off the books? Just simply because the salary he's going to make more money over there than he's going to make making a million and change over here. I think Iguain's the tough one, but I also think Iguain's the most valuable one. And I think he's the one of the three that's played the best. So uh, he, yes, he commands a, a, one of the highest salaries. If I'm not even sure if he's the uh, highest paid player in all of MLS, he might be. Um, But I think that, that Iguain is the one where, okay, maybe we don't move this. Maybe we keep it, which is why when I talk about bringing up the kids, is he going to be more of a, 
of a role where he's in charge of mentoring these kids so that when he's gone, they're able to have had that wisdom and be able to play that way. Let me let me just talk about Gonzalo Higuain as a mentor because on the pitch I don't see it. I don't know what happens behind closed doors or outside of the line. It's demanding, what, but we all have that culture that's demanding of us. True, but let me let me point to one thing that I saw in the Red Bulls game. He made a perfect pass to it was I think it was around the fifteenth minute. He made a perfect pass to Robbie Robinson through the center backs, yep. and Robbie Robinson <laughs> missed a clear chance, and he literally jumped in frustration, threw his arms down, and was fuming. I mean, fuming. And I, I, I it's understandable the frustration is there, but. Did he have a talk with Robbie Robinson after the game? That's what I have to hope for. Did he? I mean, you know, it, it, you didn't see any, you know, like reconciliation during the game. But after the game, you would hope that there was something there. And we had the locker room talk last week on the show and all of that kind of stuff. But that's where I don't see. I don't think Gonzalo Higuain in 2022 with the sanctions is a benefit to this team in any way. I think the only thing he does personally, and I'm not saying that Gonzalo Higuain is not a good player and he's not provided for Inter Miami this season because I, I I don't think that that's true. I think he has done a lot of good and been one of the best players on the year just by looking at the stat sheet. It's easy to tell. But going past to 2022 and 2023, where you talk about bringing up the kids and having to have a mentor, I think that Gonzalo Higuain just takes away opportunities for some of these kids to shine. I mean, how many times are we going to see Mitchell Curry on the pitch if Gonzalo Higuain is there or or, or um, Hundal or, you know, wh- whoever gets brought up? I think that he takes away opportunity as much as he go- might be a great mentor, a great person to play around in practice and having, hit, you know, push other young players uh, during training. I mean, that could be a huge factor that I'm completely missing out on, but I don't personally see it, so I don't know, so I can't speak on it. But on the field... Not only does it take away opportunity, but when he's playing next to a young guy in Robbie Robinson, who is just in his second professional season, it doesn't look like he's benefiting him in any aspect of his game. Yeah, especially when, you know, Gonzalo's uh, tendency to drop deep forces Robbie out of position. And that's as a pure back to goal number nine, which doesn't work for him. We've, we've seen Robbie play as an out and out winger, and that's hands down his best position. You know, he uses his physicality speed just to burn defenders with his pace and and so when Gonzalo drops deep because like I said no creative presence he's literally the only false 10 we've got uh, the team has on, on on the field Robbie's forced to play as a nine and you know it's just it's a domino effect of, of tactical just miscommunication and while uh, you know people are critical of Neville and rightly rightfully so they should be doing better you know, he, he was given such a bad hand with these players. It's like trying to fit square pegs in round holes. It just, it doesn't work. You know, we've seen the four, two, three, one, we've seen the back three, we've seen the four, three, three, just, you know, whatever happens, they've not been able to get a run of consistency going offensively. And with these DPs, all three of them, I would have, I, if it's possible, I would just get rid of, just, I'd get rid of them because they, they don't fit what, you know, Inter Miami's current philosophy is, which is to play the kids. And what Chris Henderson said uh, when he was introduced, he wants players to play uh, above their their wage level. You know, you look at a guy like Breck Shea, who, you know, arguably with the amount of, of uh, you know, just his locker room presence, you know, the effort he gives on the pitch, arguably he should be getting paid more, but he, he's get, he's playing above his he pay grade. He was signed and, to Fort Lauderdale, yes. Alex. He was signed to Fort Lauderdale, and now he's the most loved person in the – that was so amazing to me. 
I bet Chris Henderson loves him because those are the exact type of players that Henderson wants on an MLS roster. You see it with Seattle, you know, how much does their backline combined make? Surely less than what Gonzalo Higuain earns in a year. So for people worrying about, oh, are we going to find quality players um, when these sanctions hit? Yes. Yes, the team will be able to find quality players within MLS, outside MLS. You just need to be smart with your money. So that leads me to uh, earlier this week, MLS Soccer came out with their 22 under 22 list, which I thought was really something that I at least personally look at every single year. Not a single Inter-Miami player or, or Fort Lauderdale player was involved in that. I think maybe if Robbie had like he missed it by 11 months. And I, so I think that maybe if he was there, he, he would have been involved in that, but Inter Miami didn't have anybody. FC Dallas led the way with five players. If I'm remembering right off the bat, and they consistently seem to be churning out uh, those style players. And so Inter Miami has always been the natural comparison has always been to the LA galaxy also because of the David Beckham stuff and and everything there, but also because they're this big-time club. But I wonder, moving forward, as we have this play-the-kids conversation, if they should be looking to what FC Dallas is doing. Ricardo Pepe was the number one person on the list. And and if we should be having this conversation that maybe they're going to be able to be a more successful club if they follow that model – and they'll make more money because FC Dallas has been tremendous in selling players off and, and, and making money off of this. If, if we should be feeling like that's the model to follow more than the L.A. Galaxy model is. I, I think that that's the model to follow to a certain extent. I don't think that Miami are in the same realm of club they're, they are not on the same level as FC Dallas in terms of club and their exposure and, you know, how big they are. I think that FC Dallas, just because of being in Dallas and being Miami, it's totally different uh, parts of the world to, or parts of America and totally different. Uh, everyone has totally different perspectives on what those two clubs are and their visions are a lot different. You mentioned FC Dallas is moving on those players, right? They, they're getting rid of them and they're selling them when they hit that peak which is fine. But I think that Inter Miami are a club that have these amazing aspirations where they might keep them for a couple of those peak years, right? And of course, yes, Ricardo Pepe is there now and he broke out, but he's only 18 years old. Um, so that that's that's the crazy thing. Um, yes, you follow, you need to follow that model, but I think that they, Inter Miami, could keep around some of those guys just because of their, um, just because of their, I, I can't find the word that I'm looking for, but they are a big club. That that's that's why. And I also I think I mentioned I think it might have been last week or, or the week before Philadelphia Red Bulls New York who had Tyler Adams and sold them. You look at the Union Academy who had Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson, and there are a lot of academies in MLS that do great things with young talent and homegrown talent and bring them up and sell them off. But that's where I stop Inter Miami and I say, look, yes, do that, do that, bring up players through your academy through your system but I think that their aspirations are so high that they're going to try and keep them around for as long as possible because they not only will have the money to do so while the league increases spending over the next, like until 2027, but they will be willing to give their homegrown players money if they can uh, produce. So there's that's, that's the difference for me. I don't think that their idea is to send them off to Europe as soon as possible, as soon as they have that, that $10 million price tag. Yeah, and although you know FC Dallas have you know what, what a couple of what five guys in the um, MLS twenty two under twenty two uh, list, they're not they're no they're not 
they're not tearing through the Western Conference, are they? They've they've got six wins on the season and they're on twenty eight points right now. And I don't even think they're not near the the playoff line either. Yeah, they're ten points. So uh, that brings me brings up a good point that I wanted to ask you about. Okay, because yeah. New England Revolution two are in firmly into the playoffs for USL League One. Toronto is borderline on the cusp, and I, that's what wanted me to talk about Fort Lauderdale for you is the the fact that. It's going to take a bundle. It's going to take everything to break their way now for them to get into the playoffs. Is their success indicative of what Inter-Miami's success is going to be? Because like, basically everything is going to need to break their way here now. Um, um, personally, I, I think um, when these Fort Lauderdale guys do come up, I don't want people to think that, oh, Oh, Georgia Costa playing is going to be our savior, and we're gonna, you know, win a MLS Cup three straight years in a row. No, it it doesn't work like that. You know, they're Mabika is our savior, though. Let me tell you, that guy balls. Yeah, we need we got to touch on that. He he played in a phenomenal game, even though you know they lost the game. But uh, yeah, I'm like these four lot of guys. Go ahead, touch on it. You come on. Okay, you want to talk? Okay, yeah, (laughs) Mabika had a a really good game. You know that first goal, arguably maybe he could have stuck a a foot out, but then again, Leardom didn't do any do him any favors playing that ball out, and it was just it was just a weird play. But other than that, he was spot on. He, he didn't miss a single tackle. He, he won all his headers, obviously. Um, he was composed. He, he played the ball in the back well. And there was this one instance at the end of the game where, uh, I don't know what minute it was, but there was like a long ball over the top for, for Red Bulls. And he, he went over and boxed the guy out and calmly, you know, you know, kicked it back to Nick Marsman. And he just had, you know, such a dominant presence in that back line. And, um, if you see my my Twitter, I retweeted um, some of his best moments versus the Red Bulls, and you know he was composed, and you know everything I, I've watched him for Fort Lauderdale, he brought it on to MLS, and um, he's a starter next year. I, I, I've got I've got no words. I've seen enough from starter to, now. Right, let, let's he, be honest. He might be a if starter. If they could sign him now, he would have he would be starting I, over. I, I'm really looking forward to Makun Magbika 2022. Oh. Like, I'm getting excited <laughs> about that. that that's going to be so dominant. You know, Makun, he's just, you know, this this dog who runs after everything in Mabika. He's so composed and he's good on the ball. And, you know, either, you know, whether or not Miami play a back three or a back, a back four next year, those two, they're going to be very hard to to get past. Just Mabika and his, his, you know, his height alone, it, it intimidates attackers. So, um, yeah, I forgot what the original point was. I was talking about FC Dallas, but yeah, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, needing so, everything to break yeah. their way. I mean, yeah, this, so, this is, I, I tweeted out that, that like, four, four it, game. it's a crazy, it, it's a, like a crazy scenario that they need to, to make it. It starts with them having to win everything remaining, and then they need about six things to break their way. It, it, it's very unlikely. That 4-4 game was nuts, and I, I, they were lucky to get away with a 4-4. I, I, I was thinking as I'm watching it, going back to our interview with Darren Powell, where he said, oh, I would like it to be 3-0, and here we are with a 4-4 match in the next match. <laughs> and so I just do, do you think it's possible? It's, it's a pretty crazy scenario, um, but I, I, it still is technically possible for them. I think they'll win their remaining games. I don't know if any, any every, anything else will break their way, but yeah, that four four game was 
it was so it was like Benny Hill music playing in the back. It was just so wide open. <laughs> it was so wide open. I, you know, like it could have been like six yeah. six. It could have been like eight. Yeah, eight. yeah. It was. There could have been more. It was just a crazy game. They definitely missed Mabika back there. I know Modesto Mendes and um, Ethan Harden. His brother Drew scored, so that was cool. Um, Ethan Harden and Modesto Mendes. They they held it back there. Um, as best as they could and they did a good job but you know Fort Lauderdale they're they're showing that they do miss that that physicality and the the calmness that Mabika brings and yeah I do think they'll they'll win their remaining games um I'm just really excited to see Mitch Curry and Sean Hondal you know get some potential MLS minutes next season because I've seen them and I I, they're they're good players they're good and they're well-rounded and I'm just really excited for, you know, some of the guys coming up to, from this team into uh, Inter Miami next season. Guys, as we close the show out, I, I do, as we're talking about the minor leagues and, and uh, USL, uh, give a quick shout out. Miami FC just one point away from clinching a playoff berth uh, with four to play. So uh, a very close uh, close margin for them. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure to, to follow their playoff journey as, as they go through uh, the USL championship. But I wanted to close the show with uh, the U.S. men's national team and talk about them for a sec and see what is going on there. Because that Panama game felt like, a, a, you know, a, a di- the disaster all over again. It felt like Trinidad and Tobago and they – also, though, are playing Costa Rica tonight and have the chance to uh, to go top of the table, possibly, if, if things break their way. It's it's so the the margins are so razor thin for them right now. Uh, Austin, that U.S. men's national team felt a lot like Jurgen's U.S. men's national team, and it, it scared me a little. Um, I think that <laughs> I, I, I felt like I had like PTSD with that game. Yeah, and it's a lot to do with the U.S. men's national team underestimating CONCACAF opponents, and I'm tired of it. And I am tired of Berhalter with this squad rotation from one game to the next. Seven different starters, I believe, and that didn't include the goalkeeper. So there, there's, there are many different reasons why I absolutely hated having to witness that, and I hate that they, you know, are going to have to they're probably going to struggle against Costa Rica let's be honest but it's a it's a game where you have to win at least by two goals when you're at home in Columbus um I'm I am pretty pretty worried to see what the starting lineup looks like and what Berhalter is going to do because I'm tired of of the roll downs the legets and and those the I mean they they don't there's so much quality they now that well they're not the problem the problem I, for me for me the, the, the problem Jets is well I, I I think that there's more quality than legit with De La Torre, with Weston McKinney, with Eunice Musa, with Tyler Adams. I can go on with a list of midfielders nonstop that the U.S. men's national team have. They have more quality right now than I think they've ever had, and they're all super young, right? And, and they're now gaining the experience. But when you bring in – and I'm not against MLS guys playing for the men's national team. I think legit – I've even spoken to the guy when I, when I had a radio show. I, I did an interview with him. I think he's an amazing guy and a good presence to have in a U.S. men's national team camp. With that said, going into 2022 and going into these qualifiers that are now becoming more crucial as you continue to drop points, I'm not sure if Legette is the answer to the stagnant Berhalter midfield. I, I don't think that, that, is, that that's my issue with it. And I think that 
he needs to explore more options. I want to see, I think in four, there's another, uh, another round of games in the next four weeks. There's so many international breaks leading up to the world cup. Um, I, I I'm tired of this squad rotation, this camp rotation. You need to bring in the quality guys if they're fit and ready to play, because you have to start getting results. You cannot let teams like Panama, like Canada, like Costa Rica creep up on you in this octagonal where, you lost out in 2017, right? And I, I, you cannot have that again. So I'm a little frustrated as a men's national team supporter, uh, as a person who watches them and analyzes them. But this game against Costa Rica tonight at 7, as we record this on Wednesday, um, is going to be extremely crucial for what it looks, what the camp looks like in November, what the table looks like in the octagonal, and how the U.S. men's national team are going to play going forward. I need to see a lot more from them. Uh, and yeah, that, I think that that says it all with with my frustrations. I'm just my my only pushback that I'm going to say to you is that the four I was looking it up as you were talking the four highest rated players from the Panama game were Kellen Acosta who plays for Rapids, were Sebastian Legette who plays for Galaxy, was George Bello who plays for Atlanta United, and Walker Zimmerman who plays for Nashville. So the I, four me... highest rated players in the outfield were all MLS guys. It was all those international guys that weren't playing well. Let me say this. I, I think that it has to do with, like I said, it's a stagnant midfield. So if they're able to possess the ball between Acosta and Legit, then fine. I think Walker Zimmerman is really good, by the way. I am a huge Walker Zimmerman fan, even though I hate Nashville. I, I love Walker Zimmerman. I think he's good. George Bello has a lot of progression to do. He's young, but he's in a very exciting talent. I like George Bello, although I do think Anthony Robinson is the left back for the future. It's just, you know, I, I like George Bello as a prospect for depth. I think that that's good. But the midfield, I, there's there's times where Kellen Acosta can be really good. And when you, you saw it in the Nations League or the Gold Cup, whatever it was, those two tournaments where he's this feisty player, you know, they like to say CONCACAF fiend or whatever, what people have that against um, against teams in this, this these competitions. Kellen Acosta is a oh, player. We're not, sure. we're, we're not going to be debating refereeing in this podcast, right? No, Just- no. <laughs> <laughs> not again, anyway. We not again. Never. We would never. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think that that's a fair point to bring up there, the highest rated, but I don't think that they created anything good in this match. And I think that the entire team as a whole, it, it's like finding a dime it's, or what's the, what's the saying where you, you can shine against, you know, these, this team that wasn't good, but what is that really saying? If you're not elevating them to the next level, sure. You can be the best player on a bad team, but that does nothing. Um, and that, that's kind of how I see those those ratings. But like I said, I, I like Legit as a person and, and and what he's he's done. He he played, I think, in 2020, 2020 and 2019, was in every single camp. He still continues to be in every single camp. I mean, he, he lives and breathes for the U.S. men's national team, and that's that's great. Um, but there are guys that need to start getting exposure now before they head into winter of 2022 because they're still young, still need experience, especially in CONCACAF, um, in order to compete when they get if they get to the world cup let me not jinx them (laughs) guys we didn't really touch on columbus crew uh inter miami is gonna finish their road trip uh we'll see if 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 they can sort of pull and claw their way back into this uh but we will touch on it uh hopefully this time next week and review that game uh before a very big double game week that they're gonna have 
with Toronto and Cincinnati uh, when they return back here to sunny South Florida. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Roblard. I am Ian Hess for our producer, Andres. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heron Outlet. Make sure you subscribe, the YouTube channel, the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you back here this time next week.